Father God, before we look into your word, we need to ask for your blessing. We need to ask for your inspiration. We need to ask for your enlightening as we would study this topic of truth. For Lord, without your understanding, without your vision, without your granting your grace unto us, we are going to spend the next hour in vain. So Lord, may your spirit be with us and inspire us and bless us and teach us. Through Jesus. Amen. All right, the topic that was given to me was truth, which is a really broad and big topic. Um, and so, before, prior to Monday of this week, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but as I began to delve into it and start putting it together, God just kind of put everything together. So, this is what was going through my brain this week, so you get to see what's inside my head on the topic of truth. Approximately 2,000 years ago, the greatest event that has ever happened in the history and ever will happen within the history of mankind occurred. And that was with Jesus Christ coming to earth. And as part of his short three-some-odd years here, we come to this greatest event. This trial of the, not just the century or the millennia, but the trial of all history ever recorded. And in this trial, Jesus Christ came before Pontius Pilate, the governor at the time. And as part of his dialogue back and forth with trying to find out why was Jesus here in front of him as the ruler of Rome in that area, why was Jesus here? And so he begins to ask Jesus a whole bunch of questions about who he was. And as one of the questions that he, gave, he asked him, he says, so are you a king? To which Jesus replied, you say that I'm a king. And then talks a little bit about something, and then Pilate asks him another question, a question that has rung throughout all the ages, from then till now and will be forevermore, about what is truth. And there's a lot of different ideas of what is truth. But what preceded Pilate's question of what is truth? And was Pilate really asking in an in a inquisitive sense of what is truth? Like, please tell me, I'm interested. Because see, when Pilate asked this question, he immediately turned around and walked away. He didn't stay to find the answer for that question. He asked the question and walked away. So the connotation and, and that, that we can get from this is the question was not asked in a what is truth way, but what is truth? And he turned and walked away from the only person that could ever tell him what truth is. But what prompted Pilate's question of what is truth? In that verse, it said, Jesus says, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. This is why Jesus Christ came. This is, when he's standing before Pilate, this is why I'm here, Pilate. This is why I'm here before you in this trial, because I came to bear witness to the truth. But within society, there's a big difference 
and a distinction between what is truth. And I pulled this um, from the Truth Project, so some of you may have seen On this. one side, oh, no we can look at the truth claims of God. How did this get spun around? The murder from the beginning, not holding to the oh, truth, guys. for there is no truth in him. Somehow, I got mixed Well, up. let's take a look and see. What is truth? Truth is... Truth is just uh, when... I don't know. That's a really hard question. What is truth? Truth is really hard to define because a lot of different people have different set of beliefs. Present moment is truth, I think. What is truth? Truth will set you free. I truly believe there's a difference between fact and truth. Truth is very hard to give a definition to, I think. Truth is what kind of guides you. The lack of guilt is truth. Truth, I like to think of as, imagine a cathedral of the world, and there are windows, lots of windows in this cathedral, and truth, with a capital T, shines through the windows. So when I ask you something, you just have to tell them the truth. People expect people to tell the truth. I think truth is a belief system. Fact is concrete, like there's a brown table here. But if you want to believe it's blue, then that's your truth. That's your reality. Truth is what really happened. Truth is honesty. It's truth. Everybody sees things in different ways, so one person's memory can be different from another person's memory and what happened. There are people out there who say there is no truth. You can just... Create your own truth. I define truth as the way the Bible has given us instruction to live. And then we, humans, are inside, and we're looking at this truth shining through all these windows. We're seeing the refraction, the reflection. We're looking at it out of our own eyes and heart. And we're, we understand it in a way that makes sense for us. In a philosophical sense, or a factual sense. If you talk in philosophy, different people with different value systems may have different what they see as truth. Uh, if you look at truth as fact, then you have historical facts you can verify, you have scientific facts. So therefore, I might interpret truth through the lens of Christianity. I might interpret truth through the lens of science. I tend toward more of the empirical truth of, of facts. Something is true when uh, it's untainted. If you're talking on the materialistic level, uh, truth is two and two. Truth is four. There's no way around it. If you're talking on the spiritual level, which is a much higher realm, you're talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. All religions believe that what they believe is the law of the universe. I have a bit of the truth. You have a bit of the truth. Each of us does. Truth is always with us. Truth is just believing in somebody or not. There has to be a fixed truth, in my opinion, for the universe to function properly. What is truth? It's a relative. If Jesus said that this is why he came into the world was to testify to the truth, then this is an important issue. In fact, I think this question could well be the most important question that we and our culture must answer. Now, from time to time, we're going to bring some experts into the classroom, not physically, 
but they're going to begin to help us and address some of the issues. We're going to ask three of them now to address the issue of what is truth. Ravi Zacharias is probably one of the greatest apologists in the world today. Oskin is a great author. R.C. Sproul, one of the great theologians of our time. We'll let them answer the question. The single most important question any human being can ask is the question, what is truth? One of the most basic questions of all is the question, what is truth? And, and there have been battles over the answer to that throughout the ages. Of all the issues today, you could boil them down to half a dozen, but unquestionably, truth would be major. So to answer the question, what is truth, I would say it is this, truth is that which affirms propositionally the nature of reality as it is. Truth is defined as that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God, because God's perception of reality is never distorted. It's a perfect perception of reality. So when Pilate looked at Jesus, he says, ah, what is truth, and walks away. Pilate walked away from the greatest authority on the greatest question and committed the greatest crime at that time. Okay, so you can see there's a number of different ideas out there, depending on who you talk to, about what is truth. The world at large talks about truth like this. Those that are Christians talk about truth like this. Because it's defined very differently. And so if we look at strictly just the definition of what is truth, a lot of these things that are stated here are actually what Ravi and R.C. Sproul and, and Oss talked about. Truth is conformity to fact or reality. But who makes that fact or reality? Is it made by each subjective person? Or does it need to be made by someone that's outside of the realm of subjectiveness? Exact accordance with that which is, has been, or shall be. In other words, truth is not something that's relative to our little 80 years of life right here, right now. Truth is something that was real a thousand years ago and will be true a thousand years from now. That is truth. It's a true state of facts or things. And it's a purity from falsehood. So in other words, purity is not a... We tend to, in today's terms, define purity in a sense of, on a continuum. There's things that are somewhat pure, kind of pure, maybe a little pure, have a little impurities to it, but it's still called 99% pure gold. And so we make it that way rather than true purity, which is absent of all falsehood or absent of all untruth. So obviously, as we look at the definition, it screams out that truth is God. God is truth. He's the only one, only thing, only being that can fit that definition of truth. Nothing else in life can fit it. And if God is truth, then by extension, his word is truth. But is, is having this definition of truth that important? Does it really make a difference? 
So what if you have a different definition of truth? God's word is full of telling us the reasons why truth is so important. Jesus Christ himself said that no one can come to the Father except through truth. Jesus Christ. He also tells us that if we are going to worship God, the only way he can be worshipped is in spirit and in truth. So if you don't worship God in truth, you aren't worshipping God. You're worshipping a false god. Jesus Christ also in his prayer, high priestly prayer, talks about that we can only receive sanctification, being made holy in God's sight through the truth, through the word of God, which is what sanctifies us. It also talks about that if we are to even be disciples of God, we must know the truth because that's the only thing that set us free. And if truth is what sets us free, it indicates that we must be held captive first. So we are held captive by our sin, by the nature that is we are born into. That captures us. That is the state we are born into, and we cannot escape except through the truth that sets us free. And probably above all this, what I feel is probably the most important and compelling verse is that this is the will of God that we would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. You can't be saved. You can't find salvation unless you come to the knowledge of the truth. That's powerful. But God is the one that's willing this. This is what he wants in our life, is that we come to the knowledge of the truth so that we may be saved. But what has happened to truth? As we can see through the clips of of people's ideas of what is truth has changed throughout the ages and has become more and more relative to the point where we have taken and maybe it's not we Satan has taken truth and tried to portray his lies as truth so that from a distance we can see that oh look at the word truth that's awesome until you get a little closer and you see that what has happened is the word truth has been made up of lies And I think if we look at the world around us, we're going to begin to see more and more that that is what's happening. But the Bible tells us that this is going to happen. Isaiah says that truth is fallen. Truth has failed. Jeremiah says that truth is perished and has been cut off from their mouth. The Apostle Paul says that they turn away their ears from the truth and are turned out to lies and fables. Apostle Paul continues also in Romans where he says, they don't obey the truth, but instead they obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. And they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Do you see the oxymoron there? How can you hold truth in unrighteousness? Unless you have distorted truth to be something else than what it is. And in Romans Later in the same chapter, he says, they have changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. And a great example of this, just eight years ago, there's a a television show called The Colbert Report. And it's typically a satire. He pokes fun at a lot of things in society and, and things like that. But in October of 2005, he presented 
a word that he used to describe where we are in society called truthiness. And his definition was this. Truth that comes from the gut, not from books. And later in 2006, the American Dialect Society, as well as Merriam-Webster, termed this as the word of the year for two consecutive years in a row. Truthiness. And the way they define it is the quality of preferring concepts or facts one wishes to be true rather than concepts or facts that are known to be true. So in other words, it used to be that people were entitled to their own opinion of, of what they think, but not their own facts, because the facts are the facts. But that's not the case anymore. Facts don't matter. Perception is what matters. Perception becomes everything. How I perceive it in my world and through my eyes and through my own experience is what I determine is what's going to be good and right. And so what I say is right and nothing anyone else can say can be true. So it's not just what I feel to be true, but what I feel to be true because it's about me to the point where we've now defined things rather than just this is truth. Well, now we have truthiness too. Back when we talked about the trial of, the, of history, where Pilate was, was questioning Jesus, and, and Jesus said that he came to bear witness to the truth, what was really on trial? Because not, yes, physically, Jesus was on trial, but figuratively, truth was on trial. Because after he says that I should bear witness to the truth, he says, those that hear my voice are of truth. Those that are of the truth will hear me. So right away he's distinguishing that there's some sides here. And Apostle John said there's something very similar. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that knoweth not God heareth not us. And this is how we know the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. Distinguishing that there are two spirits out there that are working, that are contrary to one another. There's a spirit of truth and there's a spirit of error. And that's what Christianity across the, the, the spectrum has defined as the cosmic battle between truth and lies. This is what we face on a daily basis, but too, too often we don't consider that. There is a constant battle by Satan to take every truth claim of God, every single one, and distort it. To take what God has defined as right and redefine it into something that's wrong, or vice versa. To take something that God has defined as truth and twist it into a lie. Right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden and throughout the entire history of mankind that is seen. To take that which is fact and battle it with fiction, with stories, with make-believe, with stuff that isn't real. To take reality and instead make it into illusion so that you can't distinguish between what is reality and what is insanity. Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, describing those whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
Do you see the distinction between truth and lies? What Satan is trying to shove down our throats and what God, in, in contrast, is standing up for and putting forward to us. This is a huge, epic battle that has been going on for generations and will go on for generations until the truth comes back to set the record finally straight. But again, this concept of, of relativism is nothing new. Friedrich Nietzsche, back in the late 1800s, said it this way, you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, the only way, the correct way, it doesn't exist. And him, along with a few others, were the, the founders of, of what modern day calls moral relativism. And again, according to him, who determines what's true and right? We do. It's all about us. We determine what's right. So we can, if moral relativism is true, then we can, through the same set of glasses, look at the same tree, and you will see leaves on it, I will see barren. Because it's all relative. We can see two different things. But yet, what's reality? See, reality's been taken out of the picture. It's all about what you perceive to be the case. And Calvin and Hobbes has got a ton of cartoons that, that portray this strange way of thinking. In this one, they're talking about New Year's resolutions, and Calvin says, I, I don't need to make any, because in order to improve yourself, well, one must have some idea of what's good, and that then implies that there's certain values that are out there. But as we know, values are all relative, every system of belief is equally valid, and we need to tolerate diversity. Virtue isn't better than vice. It's just different. To which Hobbes replies, I don't know if I can tolerate that much tolerance. But again, I refuse to be victimized by notions of virtuous behavior. There's no such thing as virtuous behavior. I can be what I want. I can do what I want. I don't need to improve myself. Because if I do, then I'm saying that there must be something that's better. But if I acknowledge that, then I have to be better. And that makes me guilty. But I don't like a guilty conscience, so I just have to put it all aside. Do you see the, the insanity of, of living relative? R.C. Sproul, who we heard from earlier, said this, that we live in what may be the most anti-intellectual period in all of Western civilization. We are not necessarily anti-academic or anti-technological or anti-scientific. The accent is against the intellect itself. Secular culture has embraced a kind of impressionism that threatens to turn all of our brains into mush. There's no thinking anymore. There's no intellectualism. It's just feeling. Just do what feels right. That's good enough. And if, as long as I don't feel bad about what I do, then it can't be bad, or I can continue to do it. But why is this way of thinking... Well, I guess before that, here's a couple other examples of how this comes this type of thinking is, is advocated. Linus and, and Lucy. Lucy, of course, advocating that she's pro-choice, which is all of culture today. It's all about pro-choice. To which he responds, can I choose to smoke? Well, no, that's not good for you. Can I choose a large soda? No, that's not good for you either. Can I choose to own a gun? No, that's not safe for kids. Can I choose an incandescent light bulb instead of a high efficiency? No, that's not good for the planet. Can I cho choose low-cost coal? No, that's not good for the planet either. Can I choose to honor God? No, that's offensive. So what can I choose? To which she responds, an abortion. Is that not what you see in society today? You can't choose anything that is bad for you, but you can choose an abortion. That's okay. 
Because it's not about you. It's about aborting something else. And that's the truth and lies that are in our society and are, are rampant. Another one is this one. Republicans are racist, sexist, homophobic, gun-toting religious fanatics. Yeah, but wait a minute. You support the Muslims who are racist, sexist, homophobic, gun-toting religious fanatics. Hmm. Now I have to think. Good point. I, but that's their culture. You can't judge them. So right away, any inconsistencies of thought have to be turned and blamed to somebody else. And say, well, but that's a, that's a matter of culture. So in other words, you're saying it's right for me, but well, it might not be right for them. It's okay, whatever they do. No, either it's right or it's wrong. There's not something that's right for me and wrong for somebody else. Truth is truth. If killing is wrong, then killing is wrong. If racism is wrong, it's wrong. If sexist is sexist, it's wrong. Slavery was wrong. For years and generations we did it. Until people realized, by the grace of God, by looking into his truth, that said slavery is wrong. And they were freed. Through much battling because there were those that held to those views. And I think we've seen examples like this in culture. Where if you take a cartoon about a Muslim cleric or about Allah, it can cause riots in the entire world, which we saw not just a few years ago, did we not? But we can take a jar of urine and put the cross of Jesus Christ upside down in that jar and display it in an art museum, and it's called art. And there's no uproar. And that's what this describes, does it not? is we can take a toilet and throw a Quran in it and we can be charged, found guilty, and thrown in jail as hate crime. But if someone does that to the Bible, it's displayed in a museum as art. Look at this beautiful art. The Bible in a toilet. That's the sickness of the society we live in that has taken truth and turned it upside down into a lie. And that's the whole purpose of Satan, is to take the garbage and the evil and the wickedness that we live in this world and try to turn it into something that looks beautiful. Just look at the shadows. Look at what's beyond. Look at it. It's just two nice people sitting enjoying a drink and, oh, okay, he might be smoking, but whatever. It's just a beautiful picture, right? But step back a little bit, folks. It's made of garbage. It's a lie. It's filthiness. It's wickedness that Satan has been so clever in crafting into something that looks beautiful. Or pictures like this of, of Salvador Dali or M.C. Escher or some of the other ones where if you just look at the bottom half of the picture, everything here makes sense. It's full of truth. And then let's just look at the top of the picture. That's all truth as well. But when you try to marry the two together, all of a sudden you come up with something that doesn't make any sense. And you look at this thing and your head just spins because it doesn't make any sense. In Brother Doug's forum the other, earlier this week on, on truth, he had another picture of that, of the stairways that are going every which way and, and going nowhere and nothing makes sense. And you, just, you stare at it and you, you can't figure out anything that's in it. And that's what... 
the world is trying to do is create truth in, into something that's relative, and, and it can't happen. The two can't coexist because they don't make sense. They, they can't jive. Um, also, in Brother Doug's forum, he, he uh, played a clip of, um, from Ravi Zachariah, who was telling a story of when he went um, to a city, and I believe it was Cincinnati, um, or Columbus maybe, where they have the Wexler Center for the Arts. And this building was designed by the architect to not make sense, much like this picture, where there's stairways that go up, but go up to nowhere. There's no floor that it goes up to, it's just a stair. There's a column that hangs down, but it actually doesn't go all the way to the floor. Things that are, walls that stop halfway and that's it. Walls that are built only halfway up and stop and that's it. It's made to be a relativistic building. And the, the driver that was taking him around and showing him was explaining this to him and explaining it in a way that, wow, look at this. Isn't this a neat building? It's just made all relative to reflect society. To which Ravi says, I just have one question for you. Did he make the foundation the same way? Because that would be impossible. You make a foundation in a relative, relative sense, and the whole building's going to cave in. You can't make a foundation on relativism. You have to make it on objective truth. So the foundation has to be solid. It has to be made to sustain what, it, what the building is going to be. So right away showing that, that as much as he's trying to portray this, that, that relativism can be real. Look at it. It's right here in front of your eyes. Well, go a little deeper and you see that it's, it's impossible. It can't be true. But why is relativism so dangerous? We can take an event like December 16th, 1773, which, again, we would think is... is is an objective, historical date to which relativism, relativism would say is let's, well, let's redefine what, what is linear time? What really is history? I don't really believe there was really that much of a past or I don't believe the past was exactly that. Everything's all one. We only exist in a temporal sense. It's all illusionary. Um, therefore, this question is meaningless and I'm just not going to answer it. It's possible to answer and what does relativism do? It denies all terms and definitions. Because without a definition or a term, then how can you answer anything? You can't. You just do whatever you want to do. And, you know, it's funny. We laugh at Calvin at his antics. But really, this is, a, this is a reflection of what society is looking for. To the point where, do you realize that one-third of Americans deny that the Holocaust ever happened? Deny it. They're, the Holocaust never happened. There were never millions of Jews conquered. Hitler never did that. It didn't happen. In spite of history books, in spite of the camp, concentration camps that are still there, in spite of the, the furnaces that were still there, that, that burnt, in spite of survivors that are still testifying of that, of which there are very few, if any left. But that's what relativism does. It has to wipe out all of that because that is truth that stands in the face of how they live. One of the downsides or one of the dangers of, of relativism is that it diminishes sin. What used to be the Ten Commandments now has been whittled down to one. There is no right or wrong. There's not thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. It's there is no right and wrong. Do whatever you want. To which, of course, the world responds, Hallelujah! Because there's no sin. 
But not only does it diminish sin, but if sin is diminished, then so is our moral conscience diminished and eroded. And again, Calvin responds in this where he doesn't believe in ethics anymore, that there's a right and a wrong. As far as he's concerned, the ends justify the means. Get what you can while the getting's good. That's what I say. Might makes right. The winners write the history books. It's a doggy dog world, so I'll do whatever I have to and let others argue about whether it's right or not. So Hobbes decides to check his thinking and pushes him into mud puddle. What'd you do that for? Well, you were in my way, and well, now you're not. So the ends justify the means. Might makes right. Well, I didn't mean for everyone, you dolt, just me. Ah. See, that's, that's the thinking that these people have. It only applies to me. I can do what I want, but nobody else can do what they want because if they hurt me, that's wrong. Well, who, made, who, who said that's wrong? I don't think it's wrong. I just did it. And I just don't feel it's wrong, so let me do it. See, their thinking doesn't make sense in a global perspective. In a personal sense, sure, because now you can justify whatever you want. The ends justify the means. But then again, if, if there is no moral law, if there is no sin, then by extrapolation, there is no good news either. Because what do you need the good news of Jesus Christ for? Do you see why relativism is the strategy of the devil? Because if you can eliminate sin and erode the moral conscience and guilt that God has bestowed in each and every human being, then there's no need for Jesus Christ because we're all good. We're all good people. We all do good things. Therefore, I don't need Jesus. And once sin has disappeared, then grace also disappears. And that's where we've seen it, in, particularly in the United States, has been the, the, the biggest sense of it. But where the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation of all of law as we know it in North America, has been systematically taken out of society to where those that make the laws now are choosing to take those laws out of the, the place of law. Where you can't display the Ten Commandments in a courtroom anymore. You can't display it on a public government property. Those all have to be eradicated and pushed out of the public sphere. Or you can post it on your church. That's okay, maybe, because in some cases you can't. Or they've tried to take it away. But the Ten Commandments, even going past the public into the private, have been chipped away at. Where instead of, thou shalt not cheat, well, unless, there's an alternative, unless the alternative is failure. If you're going to fail, then, you know what? Might behoove you to cheat, because then at least you'll be able to progress forward. And don't steal, well, unless there's a music download that you want, then maybe, okay, fine, you could steal it. It's, just, it's only 99 cents, big deal. Just steal it. Don't use profanity. Well, unless everybody else in your circles is using profanity, then that's okay. Don't gamble unless it happens to be your lucky day today. Then, well, then you just give 10% of it to God afterwards. Don't lie. Well, how can it be wrong if it isn't going to hurt anybody? We've taken and put asterisks behind every commandment of God to justify what we do or to allow ourselves some freedom or liberty that God said is not the case. And think about it. 
Think about how we have done that in, in, in society and, and how we have done that, not even within society, but let's go a little closer to home, within the Christian culture. <laughs> of a truth, the chairs are not that strong. Don't lean on them. <laughs> Just get another chair. <laughs> um, But if we think about this concept of, of relativism, it's come to the point where we have tried to separate Christianity or religion from how we live so that we can do whatever we want. We can say on our Facebook page that we're Christian and say that we love God, but our Facebook page is full of sexually explicit pictures is filled with vulgar language, is filled with things that we're doing that are not glorifying to God. But, but we're Christians, because it's all relative. I mean, I can do what I want, and you, know, you just do what you want, and we'll all just sing, come around and sing Kumbaya, and we'll all be happy Christians. Really, I mean, think about it. Think about the Christian culture that we live in. There's very little clarity to how we should live as Christians. There's a lot of ambiguity. It's as wide as you want to make it. Instead of where God has defined it in his word. And too often Christians get labeled as idiots. As those that check their brains at the door when they step into church that don't know how to think. You people are so closed-minded. You're so intolerant. You're such bigots. You can't see the diversity before you. You're so closed-minded and old-fashioned. Really? Who's the ones that have checked their brains at the door? Who's the ones that are anti-intellectual? That when you walk them through their way of thinking, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, sure, for that little moment in time, it seems to make sense for them in their own little world, but what's the extension of their thinking? If you believe in some sort of moral relativism, you can't even accuse people of wrongdoing. Because what's the standard of wrong that you're using? Your own? You can't even complain about the problem of evil in the world. When a dictator goes and slaughters the people in their land, who are you to say that that's wrong and that's evil? When suicide bombers blow up things or drive planes into buildings, how is that evil? And yet everybody in society cried out how wicked that was. Based on what? On yourself? Perhaps the greatest picture of that, if you, if you can recall on September 11, 2001, as the buildings came crashing down and America and the world at large, for the most part, was horrified by that and were showing these pictures of, of this horrible thing that had just happened. The news flashed to the Middle East. And what did you see? You saw cheering and partying in the streets because the great infidel had gone down. Two contrasts. They both can't be right. One is truth and one is evil. One is right and one is wrong. They're not both right. Truth and evil are opposing to one another. 
And we've somehow tried to blur those together that somehow says, well, it's, it's okay for you, but you don't have to do it because it may not be right for you. Really? It's right or it's not. You can't even place blame on someone for doing it because, well, that's just their way of believing. They're acting according to their beliefs. What's wrong with that? I believe that homosexuality is, is good. There's nothing wrong with it because we love each other. So how can you blame us? We're just acting out on our love for one another. You can't even claim that there's something unjust or unfair in life. It just is what it is. And there's no way of even improving our morality. Because by saying we need to improve indicates that we're not good enough. Which goes against my feeling because that makes me feel bad that I'm not good enough. I need to improve? I need to get better? Who says I need to get Who are you to judge me that I need to get better? And you can't even hold a more meaningful moral discussion because there's no foundation to talk about morals. What's your foundation? It's a foundation that's perpetually changing. And again, you can't even promote the concept of tolerance because you're, to you're saying let's tolerate everything, but then if someone comes along that's a Christian and says we should be living like this, I'm not going to tolerate that because how? I'm going to put blame on you and say you're being intolerant. Do you see the, the spun way of thinking here? And again, you can't even complain about being mistreated because, well, who's de decided that you're being mistreated? Maybe you were mistreating somebody else and this is just a response to that. So, so that's where I look at this and I see who's the one that's committing the spiritual and intellectual suicide? It's not the Christians. We as Christians, we have a, an incredible foundation we stand on. We stand on the truth. Ultimately, we know that where we stand is right. But too often we get scared of, of that and, and we step off of that foundation and try to stand on our own instead of standing on the truth of God. So which side is winning the battle here? In a survey of American teenagers just eight years ago, fewer than one-third said they believe that only one religion is true. 60% of them said that many religions have truth, like the lady, the universalist in there. Well, you have a little bit of truth, we have a little bit of truth, they have a little bit of truth, we all have a little bit of truth. Or is there one version of truth? The Barna Research Group just last year, nine out of 10 Christian students, this isn't the secular world that was studied eight years ago, this is Christians. Nine out of 10 Christians that were surveyed affirm moral relativism. And then we wonder why the Christian society has fallen apart and why people don't want to become Christians anymore. Because there's no difference between society and the Christian. Because Christians have become more like society instead of making society more like the Christian. Because there's no truth to the way they're living. And oftentimes, it seems that this, that, that, that we're living in a society where, where this battle can't be won. Where we're surrounded by all these warriors that are shaking in their armor. That don't know how to stand. That feel that somehow we're the ones that are losing the battle. And we wish we would have the strength to stand up. And this giant, this giant of, of lies and confusion and moral relativism is just laughing at us. 
and keeps on telling us time and time again that we're the ones that are going to lose. We're never going to win. And since we're never going to win, we might as well just go along with it. And so that's what we do. But see, there's another voice that keeps coming through. And that's the voice of truth that tells an entirely different story. It says, don't be afraid. The voice of truth tells us, this is for my glory that you need to stand up. And of all those voices that are calling to us in the world around us, and there's a myriad of them, we need to choose to listen, to believe, and to obey the voice of truth as found in the Word of God. This compass is from the Truth Project as well, and, and I want to use this in, in three ways. One is to show you that no matter where you go in life, every area of life, the truth found in God's Word speaks. Whether we look at science, the Bible is full of truth as it relates to science. Things that people didn't understand until just over the last 20 to 30, 40 years, that the Bible said generations ago, all of a sudden science is proving true today. That's amazing. Obviously, ethics. God's word is full of declaring what is right and what is wrong. What is truth, what is lies. The entire truth of the word of God is about the revelation of God. God revealing himself to us of who he is. His truth touches on the church and how the church should be structured, how the church should live, what the church's mission should be, what the Christian's mission should be, how we are to live in community with one another, our relationships one with another. It talks about what is a family, a husband and a wife, Adam and Eve, that that is what constitutes a family and the procreation of children. It talks about the state. It talks about government, how the government is to run and how it is to be a minister of justice from God, that God sets up the governments and takes down governments. It talks about the law and is full of commandments that are God's law of how we are to live. It has all sorts of things on work and labor. And in, in those, Apostle Paul talks about those that are servants, those that are masters, how they are supposed to treat they are employees, how the employees are supposed to treat their, their employer, and that everything we should be doing, we should be doing heartily, not to our employer or to our employees, but as on to the Lord, because that's who we serve. And obviously, it's full of truth and history. So that's the first point. But the second point goes around that same circle in a slightly different manner, because in each one of those areas, when we don't follow the truth of God as he dictates it. There are certain pathologies that result from it. If we, and we'll just take a couple, if we decide we don't want to follow the, the order that God put out for the family between a husband and a wife for procreation, there are a couple of ways. One, the family decides... We can't have this baby. We can't afford it. And so we're going to abort it. And there are pathologies that come along with all that sort of activity. If we decide that 
the church, that we are not going to follow the, the, the structure that God put out and the system that he put in place, and we're going to do things differently, there are pathologies that follow from that that are going to cause a whole lot of negative consequences to ourselves and those that are around us. We can take any of those. History. If we decide that we are going to rewrite history, there are pathologies that go from that because it gives us, again, no foundation to go back to. Each one of these, as we don't follow the pattern that God put forth in his truth, there are negative consequences and pathologies that stem from that. And thirdly, in every area, go around this, this compass, try to think of one area where Satan has not attacked viciously with his lies over the last thousands of generations. What are the greatest battles that we're facing today within North America, not counting anywhere else? The homosexual agenda, defense of marriage, abortion, removal of all of God's laws from any of the laws of today, removal from the Judeo-Christian foundation of history. We're not... You, you have government officials, the ACLU, all sorts of different organizations that are saying that our country, Canada and the U.S., was never founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs. That the for, founding forefathers were not Christians. They didn't say that we should not have a separation between church and state. They sh- said for sure that they, that they should be separated. And we should only worry about government things and put the church out. Really? Go back in the history books and look. But even those are being rewritten to eliminate that truth so that I can continue to say that this country was not Judeo-Christian. This country is just postmodern. Every single area on that compass is being attacked by Satan to destroy the truth of God. It doesn't need to be Adam and Steve. Adam and Eve, it can be Adam and Steve. That's just fine. Because God loves everybody. It is scary when you look at how truth is being attacked in our society today. And we don't even seem to notice it. Because we don't hear about it that much. Or we choose to ignore it. Or don't think of it as an attack on truth. As a cosmic battle. But thank God that truth will always come out. Because he is truth. He will always reign supreme. So the fundamental rule is truth. The foundation is truth. But there's two things that are either going to happen. When truth does come out, it's either going to, like the Word of God says, set you free, or it's going to end everything you fought for. Because if I've stood on falsehood and lies, when that truth comes face to face with me, it's going to knock that out. But that's why I don't like truth. Because it puts me in my place and realizes that I'm wrong. And so therefore, I need to attack that truth. And that's why truth is being attacked. Is because if they don't, it's going to end everything they fought for. Which means they were wrong, God was right, and they now have to do something about it. And in that sense, 
That's the moment of truth that each of you face today, right here, right now. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, this is your moment of truth. Because God has set forth in his word that we are all sinners. We have been born into sin. We are held captive by sin. The devil owns us. And unless the truth of the word of God sets you free, unless you come to the knowledge of the truth and are saved, the bottom line truth is you're going to hell. There is no other option. There is no other judgment. That is it in a nutshell. That is the truth. But thankfully, that's not, in a sense, the whole truth. Because the second part of the truth is that, G that God knew that you couldn't save yourself. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to live a perfect life. To die on the cross and shed his blood for all of your sins. So that you can come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's awesome. That's the whole truth. And like we read, the truth of God is that that's the will of God for your life. You might be trying to find the will of God of where I should go for school, what I should do once I'm done school, what kind of job should I get, who am I going to marry, where am I going to live, all these other questions that you have in life. But ultimately, the will of God is singular, that you shall be saved. That's what he wants. That's the truth. He wants you to be saved. And to those of you that are Christians, the moment of truth for you is are you ready and willing by the power and spirit of God to stand up for the truth where you are today? In your home, in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, with your friends. Are you going to stand up for the truth? And as Jesus Christ made it his primary function when questioned by Pilate that this is why I came and for this purpose I am here is to bear witness to the truth. That is also our purpose here on this earth is to bear witness to the truth. But it's going to cost you and are you ready and willing to pay the cost? Look at the history of the disciples of Jesus Christ, of our forefathers, those that fought against slavery and all these other things that are, that are in our society or that have been wiped out of our society and which other ones have come in. Are we going to stand up for the truth? And when our friends and our colleagues and our coworkers are saying things that are not true, are lies are things that go against the word of God. Are we going to stand up boldly, not in an affront or an assault or an attack on them, but boldly say, no, I don't believe that's the truth. Or very intellectually, creatively, begin to ask them questions to say, well, wait a minute, how do you determine that that's what's right? Why is that a good thing to do? What are you standing on? But wait a minute, if, if you said that this is true, then well, why can't that over there be true? And make them think through their argument. 
to the point where they realize they're actually just making a choice, not based upon truth or based upon what is right or wrong. It's just a personal preference that they're making. And they don't want to be faced with the truth because, well, now I'm the one that's wrong if this is truth. So I would pray and, and hope and pray that, that those of you who are Christians, that, that God's spirit would really take a hold of you and that he would use you to testify to the truth. As the word of God says, to speak the word of truth in love. That all of those may come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's it. Any questions? I know we're early, but that's okay. I like ending early. Um, gives you time to get to lunch earlier. So I know some of you want to take off to lunch. Any questions?